Hugh asked me to share on vision and values. As you guys know, we've been doing a three-week series. When we planted the church and when God gave us kind of the download of the name and all of that and the vision, he gave us these three values that were meant to be in our DNA. And so Hugh shared on the first two, and then he's asked me to share on this last one. At first I was like, that's boring. I don't want to share on that. But now I'm like, no, this is exciting. So I went and I got into our vision and values again, and it's something we should all do I can see the reason why we need to remind ourselves why we do the things we do. I needed to remind myself. So the first value he shared on was kingdom. I'm going to spend a few minutes on all of them, and then I'll get into the third one. They're in no, like, particular order. One isn't way more important than the other, um, and they're also very intertwined. But the first thing that he shared on was kingdom. And kingdom, I wasn't here for that message, so hopefully mine doesn't sound way different than what he shared. It might. But hopefully not. God's kingdom is always advancing. His kingdom is always advancing. He's always taking ground. He's always moving. He's always doing something. And we are getting with what he's doing. We want to be a part of what he's doing. And we believe that God establishing restoration here in this place is him bringing his kingdom here. He wants to establish more of his kingdom here where we are planted and kingdom is not some nebulous place. You see a lot of people say, what's the kingdom of God? And I know we've been taught on this before, so some of this might be a refresher. But it's not a nebulous place. It's not like up in the clouds somewhere. God's kingdom is in us. Marie gets an uh, a, a plus. God's kingdom is in us. He's in us. It's by his presence. His kingdom is in us. His presence in us brings his kingdom, his life, his righteousness, his peace, his joy in us. And we are carriers of his kingdom everywhere we go. When we walk to school in the morning and it's kind of boring and kind of blah and they don't want to go to school, blah, 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 then I say, you guys are kingdom carriers. You are carrying the kingdom of God to Bell School today. Wherever you put your feet, you're bringing the kingdom. That should be exciting to us. Wherever you go, you're bringing the life of God. You're bringing the joy. You're bringing the peace. You're bringing the rest. You're bringing the freedom. You're bringing that wherever you go. So that takes kind of the you know, mundane, blah stuff that we do to a different level, a kingdom level. So I don't know if you guys find that helpful, but for me, we pray that. I'm like, guys, you're bringing God's kingdom to Bell today. Be the light. Be the light. Bring the peace that he has. And I need to tell myself that. So we are kingdom carriers. It's not necessarily what we need to try to be. It's who we are. And God's kingdom um, is wherever Jesus rules and reigns. So if we want a, more of his kingdom in our life, it's more areas in our lives that he rules and reigns over. It's more areas of our life that we surrender. Now I'm going to surrender my finances. Then right there, his kingdom has come. His kingdom has come to that area. His kingdom has increased in you, and peace and joy and all kinds of things happen where there used to be bondage and anxiety and worry and stress. So that's, that's how God's kingdom is. And then we are here, restoration is here, to bring God's kingdom here. And it's just to reach people. It's to reach people. We planted the church, and the church God planted here is to advance his kingdom and reach people, to take people out of the kingdom of darkness, death, destruction, bondage to sin, addiction, into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom where Jesus is Lord, where there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's exciting. That makes me excited. So that's why we're planted here, and that's why you guys are planted where you are. Wherever you guys are, your jobs, your neighbors, you bring the kingdom 
to those places. You bring the presence of God and the life of God where you are. So let people know. Let it out. I think Steve preached a message on kingdom right when we planted the church, Steve Sudworth, and it was letting it out. It's not like, how do I reach people? How do I just let it out? Let out your story. Let people know who you are. Let people know I'm a follower of Jesus. This is my story. Let them know. Share. Let out who we are to the people around us. And people are not as far away from God as you might think. Sometimes we think people are so far away from, well, they don't want to go to church. Well, they're not interested in God. Blah, 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 blah. When actually it comes down to our own fear of man, most of the time we worry what people will think of us. But actually people are not as far from God as you think. They might respond. You never know. So cast the net out. Throw the net out again. Take the pressure off. I've got to save people. We don't. We don't save people. Take the pressure off and throw the net out. And it's God's job to save people. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that freeing? He's the one who does it. We just share. We let the kingdom out. It's not our huge hearts and compassion that saves people. It's not all of our effort. It's just invite people, share. Let people know what we have. Tony Sivright came a year ago in April and talked on the woman at the well. He leads a church in South Africa, for those of you who are here and remember. He preached on the living water that we have. And that's what it is. Just give what you have. We have that drink of living water that somebody needs and just share what we have. So that was kingdom. And then secondly, he shared on authentic biblical community. Last week, Hugh talked on that. We want to be a church that lives out authentic biblical community. And that means we know that we're a family. God's put us together in family. He wants us to be in family. Um, Isolation is the devil's playground. When we isolate, as some of you know this week, maybe it was too much alone time, too much idle time. For us, it was kind of a nice rest. But for some people, it's like I'm cooped in my house and I'm not seeing anybody. And we all know that's not a good thing to be in. That's not a good place to be, right? Isolation is where the enemy can just come and have a heyday, when we can be tempted and all those things. So we need the body. We need each other. And that's what we want to be, an authentic um, biblical community, loving one another. And Hugh talked out of Acts 1-8, how we want to take our model from the early church. So we don't just do tons of random meetings, but we want to have intentional meetings based on what the early church did in Scripture. And in Acts 1-8, he taught that we saw um, the teaching of the Word, the apostles' teaching, and then they gathered for fellowship and breaking bread. So that's connect groups and having people into your home. And then they gathered to pray. They gathered to pray. And we pray on the first Wednesday of the month. It's not even that much, actually. We used to belong to a church where you prayed every single Wednesday of the month. I mean, every single Wednesday of the week. No, uh, you understand what I'm saying. Every Wednesday, we'd pray. And uh, we loved it, actually. Um, but prayer meeting is not necessarily something that a lot of American churches do. It's just not a strength. Um, but we need to practice our praying. We need to practice and exercise our praying. So we also want to encourage you guys to stretch yourselves. Um, Maybe you're someone who loves the Sunday morning gathering because it's really structured and you know what's going to happen. But being in someone's home and having a meal just freaks you out. So then stretch yourself and have a meal in someone's home. Go to Connect Group. Experience that. Or maybe you love the home time, the fellowship in the homes, but prayer meeting is like, I don't know about that. So stretch yourselves. We want to encourage you guys to... Be a part of all the things that God has called us to as a church. So that is, are you guys with me? Okay. On a February day, 
I know we can be dragging, but I'm here to say we're not dragging this morning. <laughs> okay, on to the one that I'm talking about. The third value is pursue Jesus and his presence. Pursue Jesus and his presence above everything. Our first priority above everything is to keep our love and our passion for Jesus alive and above any of the doing, above anything else. And that was challenging to me this week because, I mean, sometimes we do get so busy and life takes us away and, and carries us off. It's problems and it's pressures. And we aren't as excited about Jesus as maybe we were one day or earlier or when we first got saved. But we've got to keep that excitement and that fire and that passion for Jesus alive in us. God put this in the DNA of restoration right at the beginning because our revelation of who Jesus is is our most important revelation as his believers, as his followers. And I'll say that again. Our revelation of who Jesus is is the most important revelation we have. Who do we say Jesus is? Who is he to us? That revelation can only come from intimacy with him. And it fuels everything we do. Everything we do needs to be fueled from this love and passion we have for Jesus. And we ought to contend for that revelation. Fight for it. When we feel like we don't have it, find it again. Find it again. If Jesus doesn't excite us, he should excite us. He should excite us. We need to find it again. It's, he's the only one that keeps us free and keeps us going and fuels the things that we do. Otherwise, we can burn out. When we lose our revelation of Jesus, things can become dry that we do. They can become meaningless, and we do them out of routine or religion. You fall into routine or religion. Anyone ever feel that way? You just go through the motions, and you don't quite remember why you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> the wheels keep going. The only way not to fall into religion is to keep our relationship with Jesus right. We believe Jesus is building his church. In fact, I went back over some notes from Tyron Daniels, who's coming again in August. He leads NCMI. You guys won't want to miss that. He's the leader of um, all the churches we partner with. A powerful revelation he has of Jesus. It impacts everyone around him. But he says Jesus is building, the only thing Jesus is building is his church. And it's true. The Bible says the only thing Jesus is building is that's the only thing that the Bible says Jesus is building is his church. He's not building your business. He's not building this missions thing. He's not building. The only thing that it says in the Bible that he's building is his church. And we're a part of that. And we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing, right? I want to be a part of what he's building, not my own thing. And Jesus is building a church that's obsessed with him, captivated by him, that when people come in those doors, they encounter Jesus just by our revelation of Jesus, just by the revelation we have and the love that we have and the obsession we have with Jesus. And to experience him, to not just know him, to experience him, to experience his presence. That's the church that Jesus is building. Pursuing Jesus is biblical. Now, the Bible says God pursues us, Right? We know that God initiates with us. He, he's the first one to initiate to us and reach out to us and love us and draw us. 
but, the, but it is biblical to pursue God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Luke 11, 9 says, ask, seek, and knock. All words that suggest our need to pursue and press into God. As I was preparing, I looked up, um, I was looking up verses on pursuing God. And Psalm 63 is the most well-known psalm about pursuing God. In fact, I think I read that the early church had to sing it every time that they gathered. It was their first thing that they would sing. And it was just this song all about pursuing God. And, of course, David wrote the psalm. David wrote this beautiful psalm about pursuing Jesus. And David is known for being this man with an incredible heart after God, incredible heart for God, devoted to God, someone that God could trust, someone that God knew that he would do his will. He wanted to do God's will. In fact, the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. And David was king, but he also made many mistakes. Those of you who have studied David know he made big mistakes, many mistakes. But through all his failures and his successes and his ups and downs, his heart was for God. It was after God. It was to do God's will. In fact, God chose David to be king over all of his brothers because of his heart. Because of his heart, not because of his skill. Not because of anything, his charisma, because of his heart. God chose him. David had this heart that was devoted to God. But he was also a man who knew pressures of life. How many know David had pressure? He, had, he was a king. He, was, he knew the pressures of responsibility. He knew the pressures of leading. The pressures of problems, right? Putting out fires, lots of problems. His own son... Absalom was leading a rebellion against him when he wrote Psalm 63. His own son. He was having to flee for his life, run for his life, and he was in the wilderness because his son was coming after him to take his throne when he wrote this psalm. So let's, in that context, I'm going to read some of Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He's reflecting on what he's seen of God. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Your love is better than life itself. I will praise you as long as I live. He's praising God. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. There's reference to lifting your hands in worship in the the Bible right there. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. It's a beautiful song of worship. And David had extreme pressure when he wrote this beautiful worship song, alone, in the wilderness. And yet he sought God and he pursued him and he wrote this. I asked myself, if you or I were in this kind of a situation, our son trying to take our throne and kill us, would, would, would this be the kind of song that came out? I had to ask myself. Mine would probably be like, God, where are you? Why did you abandon me? You're failing me. You need to come through. Desperate cries for help. God, help me. I need you. Right? I think that mine would probably be something more like that. But David wrote this. He wasn't blaming God. God, you put me in this situation. You made me king. Now where are you? He didn't do that. 
He just wanted to be in God's presence. He just wanted to be in God's presence where he could be better, where he could experience God and just be in that place, not questioning God's goodness or his faithfulness. That's challenging. So what does it mean to pursue and seek Jesus? What does it mean? It means, you can go to the next slide, Ethan. Thank you. It means we know God in a personal and intimate way. The beginning of Psalm 63.1 says, God, you are my God. My God. David doesn't say, oh God, you are God. He says, God, you are my God. That's personal. It's intimate. He doesn't know about God. He knows God. He knows him personally. And we can know God like that as a friend. To pursue God also means we desire more of him. We desire more of him. And I, got, I kind of talked on that a little earlier, that we have to keep that desire and that hunger to know God more alive. David already knew God for a long time, and he'd walked with him for a long time, but he knew there was more. And there was this desperation, words like hunger, thirst, long. There was no complacency in his desire to know Jesus. Now, maybe that was some of the desperate situation, but, and we all go through times where we feel complacent. We do. But we need to recognize it as, is like a tactic of the enemy. And also complacency works in opposition to us growing. Complacency works against our spiritual growth. And so we have to foster that hunger and that passion for more of Jesus and want to know him more. It also means looking to Jesus to fill and satisfy the voids a commentator pointed out how David's psalm, he had left his wife, his kingdom, he had left all these things, but his psalm wasn't about asking for all those things back. He just wanted more of God. So I think the point being, there was this huge vacuum in David's life, but he wasn't looking to fill it with all the things that he had. He filled it with Jesus. He wanted to fill it with God. And I know it's hard to always have his perspective, but it's good to have his perspective sometimes and to remind ourselves I know none of us are perfect, and we, 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 we do try to fill ourselves with other things. We do. We all do. But then understanding that Jesus is the one who can really satisfy those voids, hopefully as we grow in him, we can know that more and more. So how does a person seek after God? By keeping our love for Jesus alive. Just keep that love for Jesus alive. Those who are married... Know that love is both commitment and feelings, right? It's both. But when you first meet someone, you know, we all know, you have these intense feelings and intense passion and feelings, and you forsake everything, you know, just for that love relationship. Do crazy things like lose sleep and whatever else you do when you first fall in love. And then as life happens and as busyness happens and things happen, those feelings fade and they wane, and you have to really work for them. You have to really fight for them in your marriage to keep that passion and that romance alive. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in a marriage that's just about commitment. And I don't think that's what God has for marriage. Marriage is meant to be a blessing. It's something that we can enjoy. So it's not meant to just be a cross we bear or drudgery or all about commitment, right? We have to fight to keep the romance. We have to fight to make it fun, to make it exciting, to... Get those feelings again. We, that's part of the relationship. And in the Bible, 
the words that are used to describe our intimacy with Jesus are the similar to the intimacy between a husband and wife. So it's the same with our relationship with Jesus. We need to keep that fire and passion and love for Jesus alive. I said it in the beginning, but I'll say it again. If you're not excited about Jesus, get excited about Jesus. Get excited about him again. I need to get excited about him again. Think on what he's done. Meditate on your salvation. Reflect on his goodness, on his greatness. Reflect on his faithfulness. Remind ourselves, it should actually make us feel some emotion. We should feel emotion. And if it doesn't, let's get with Jesus and stir that again. Stir up that passion again. Stir up that flame again. Spending time with him. There's no other way to know a person. There's no other way to know Jesus. There's no shortcut. We just need to spend time with him. We need to spend time with him. It's that, almost like that New Year's resolution thing that everybody does. I'm going to have more quiet times. I'm going to, it's kind of like that time of the year where you reset and try to get better routines in place and prioritize what matters. And our time with Jesus, we need to slot it in. We need to schedule it in. Time with Jesus. I need to schedule it in. Hugh and I got unexpected time together last Saturday. A friend of ours took all three of our kids to a movie for us, and we were like, oh, (laughs) what is this? It was like four hours of just, you know, I won't tell you all the details, but it was this nice big block of time, and we went out, and we had fun, and we got to have um, a meal together and just hang out, and it was, it just did so much wonders for our relationship, and so we need to have that kind of time with Jesus, just no agenda kind of time where we just hang out with him, be with him. It's important. So spend time with him. Even if it's 15 minutes in the morning, I'm setting myself to get up. I shouldn't share because then I'll probably fail, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to set my clock to get up early to spend 15 minutes with Jesus every single morning just to start my day. If it's reading a little bit of the word, um, if it's Worship, worship helps you get in God's presence quickly. Just praying, just getting in the presence of God. Make time to be with him. Jesus had to get away and find time to be with the Father. He intentionally got away. We should get away also and spend time with Jesus. And keep Jesus at the center of your life. Our walk with Jesus is not a Sunday morning thing. It's not a coming to church thing. He wants to permeate every area of our lives. He wants to be involved in every area of our lives. So keep him the center. Don't keep him compartmentalized over here. So we all live under pressure. We all have pressures from families, from work, problems, school pressure, all kinds of pressures. And we don't Set Jesus as our first priority. The pressures of life determine what we give ourselves to and determine how we use our time. But instead, we want to fight for intimacy with Jesus, fight for that revelation of Jesus. We need that revelation of Jesus. It's the most important thing for us as his followers, who we see him as, who we know he is, to stay free, to stay free, to just enjoy life, to keep doing the things we're called to do, to enjoy the things that we have. Keep our focus on him. 
And I want to encourage us all to worship in our hard places like David. Worship in our hard places. Not shutting him out, but running to him instead. Running to him instead. So often we want answers from God. Or we want him to quick solve everything. But we need to just come to him and get more revelation of who he is. And that's when the clarity comes. But we want answers. But sometimes what we should want is just that greater intimacy, that greater closeness, that greater friendship through what we go through. So come to him for that. Come to him for more of his presence, for more revelation. I want to read Hebrews 4.14. How am I doing on time? I'm okay on time. Are you guys good? Okay, well, then I'll just talk a little bit more. <laughs> okay, so Matthew 27, 50 through 51 tells us when Jesus died, the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. The temple curtain being 45 feet tall and four inches thick was torn from top to bottom. And it was the barrier in the temple that the barrier for the Holy of Holies, the place where Jesus' presence resided. And a priest was only allowed to go into that Holy of Holies one time a year to make atonement or sacrifice for people's sins. No one else was allowed access to God's presence. It was just that one time a year by the priest. And when Jesus died, that curtain was torn from the top to bottom, showing that a man couldn't have torn it. God tore it. God said, no more. He tore the curtain from the top to bottom saying, people have access to my presence because of Jesus. Through Jesus, we have access to God and the presence of God anytime we want, every single person. And Hebrews 4.14 says, therefore, just cried on. <laughs> since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence because of Jesus, because of what he did, to receive mercy, to receive grace when we need, which we need all the time. There's nothing that we go through that Jesus hasn't experienced, nothing that we feel that he hasn't experienced, the loneliness, the rejection, the abuse, the isolation, all the things that he experienced. There's nothing that we feel that he doesn't know. He's sympathetic and empathetic to us. And he wants to give us grace and he wants to give us mercy. So we need to go into his presence and run to his presence as often as we need. He's our, Jesus is our example. He's our example. So contend for your revelation of Jesus. It's the most important revelation we have. Who do we say Jesus is? Fight for it. Keep that passion alive.
Don't be complacent about Jesus. You need to be excited about Jesus. We want a church that's obsessed with Jesus. We want restoration to be obsessed with Jesus. I've seen churches that put Jesus in lights behind them. We won't do that to you. I mean, maybe. Maybe we should. Okay. But I'm not judging that. But that's what it is. We need to remind ourselves it's all about Jesus. We're a people in love with him. We're a people excited about him.